0: Uh, we're going to uh, get into to God's Word ourselves. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to, to uh, take it out and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right there in front of you. And if you don't have one at home, you can take that one with you. We'd love for you to have it. So we're going to read out of Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 sixteen, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. It says this, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. When your soul shifts from slave to child, you relate to God like you have never related to him before. Because for the first time, you start to see that God is a Father. God is the original Father. He is not a pale reflection of your Father on earth. Your Father is a pale reflection of Him. He's the original. Everything else is an imitation. The real voice, the one that you need to hear, is the voice of God. Speak out of Scripture and say to you, you are my beloved.
1: It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Amen, Amen. all right, yes. Uh, Lester, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us and your family. It's great to have you here. So you got a little taste of what our youth uh, got to experience Friday and Saturday with, uh, with them speaking. And so uh, hopefully you get, those of you who get a chance to visit with them later, you can hear some more stories and hear more of Lester's story. Uh, we are continuing our series in Soul Shift, uh, week number three. It was two weeks ago we started. And you might remember, uh, if you were here, that uh, we started with these pictures. We ask you to get a picture of what you think a Christian should look like or what you would like to look like in your Christian life and even maybe what you had dreamed of before. And we had two pictures, my picture of Jim Tomey that was kind of what I wanted to be growing up, but then my picture of a Haitian pastor praying on his Bible. And that's kind of a picture I had, in my mind at least, of what a godly man would look like. But you know, as we get in here to week three, I would suggest that maybe our picture of ourselves, or even what we think we should look like as a Christian, is not as important as our picture of God. What we think of him, because when we think of God and we get a picture of God in our mind, it is going to form our own picture of ourselves. What does God look like to you? Saying that, I remember the story of the young boy in Sunday school. Teacher had a few extra moments, so she'd gotten out some paper and crayons and said, hey, why don't you guys just color and do something? And and so they were going away, and she happened to be walking by, and she peeked over the little boy's shoulder saw that he was drawing a picture of an old man with long hair and long beard. She was wondering, well, is that Moses or is that uh, maybe Elijah? So she she asks, who's that? He says, well, that's God. And she said, well, you know, still a little boy, no one's really ever seen God. So we really don't know what he looks like. And He says, well, I'm almost finished, so I'll show you. (laughs) What do you think of God? I think as we think of what we learn and, and kind of the things we learn from little children like that, um, it's interesting that last week when Pastor Eric was talking and we were in Mark chapter 9 and he was sharing about how the um, disciples were arguing on the road over who's the greatest and in Mark nine thirty six Jesus had said, hey, if you want to be first, you're going to have to be last. And then the very next verse, 9.37, is he, he basically points out who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says this, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The scripture there says he found a child who was there in the group and he pulled him in his midst. He put his arms around him. And he says, here are the important people in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, the same scenario, the same episode here, words it a little differently in Matthew 18. He says this, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's so interesting. You know, two weeks ago we talked about these disciples that just don't seem to be getting it. They don't have the mind of Christ, although they've walked with them for two plus years. Last week, Pastor Eric, they're they're arguing over who's the greatest. They still haven't got it. They've been with Jesus for over two years. And here again, they've been with him for over two years. And he says, you still have to change. He says, unless you change, you're not going to see the kingdom of God heaven. That change there, the word that is being used by Mark very carefully is, or in this case Matthew, very carefully is is the word of turn. Turn. Jesus uses that very same word when he says if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 uses those same words when he's talking about his, his final sermon, the sermon that basically is a death sentence for him, but he's, he's preaching, he's preaching to the Jews, and he's talking about the Israelite nation. And he said, when the Israelite nation was out, out of Egypt, and they were out in the wilderness, he said they turned their hearts back towards Egypt. A few verses later, he says, and then God turned away from them, the very same words. It's a, it's a redirection. It's, a, it's, it's a, almost like a repenting. It is, it is turning around. It's making, in this case, the NIV has translated it, change. It's a change that we make. And this change is to become like a little child. Now, I didn't say act like a little child. You know, if it's acting like a little child, some of us would have it made. You know, we're gonna get there. But in this case, it's to change and become like a child. And, and we look at child, and sometimes we think, oh, a child's so innocent and pure, but children aren't innocent and pure. They have the same nature, sin nature that we have. What a, what a child does have, though, is an incredible understanding uh, that they need their parents. They come really with nothing in hand. They come In a word, helpless. That's the life of a child. And Jesus is addressing and saying, you need to turn this way. You need to change. Even after these two years, there's something in you that needs to shift, that needs to change. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting, that is the story that Pastor Eric was talking about last week and right after that in Mark chapter 9. But again, just a few days later maybe because it's in Mark chapter 10, we see another episode with Jesus and children. This time, the people are bringing their children to Jesus to bless them. That was very common in that day. Bring, Bring your children to the rabbi and the rabbi would bless your children. And it says in the scripture that the disciples got indignant. You know, Quit bothering Jesus with that. Don't, you know, Jesus has got more important things to do than to bless the little children. Well, in Mark chapter 10, what Pastor Eric read here, we see this, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Mentioned last week that Jesus' favorite topic was the kingdom of God. This was not a matter of salvation, but this was the ushering in of God's kingdom on earth. In fact, if you study through the New Testament, you see Jesus saying the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is bigger than just one place. But he says, but if you want to be involved in what God's doing, if you want to be involved in God's kingdom, he said, you've got to come to it empty-handed, helpless, helpless. Because it's not what you have done or what you have earned. In fact, he goes on and then it says the same thing that Matthew said. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God is like a little child, will never enter it. So he took the children in his arms, placed them on his hands and blessed them. Again, he's talking to disciples who have been with him for two years. And he says, unless you change, unless you accept this kingdom, he said, it's not anything that you've achieved. It's what you receive. He says, you can't achieve the kingdom. You can't do it. Do you remember just several months ago when we were going through the Reformation? We were talking about Martin Luther. and, And there were many folks back then who were thinking they could achieve the kingdom. They could work at it. They could do it on their own. And Jesus is saying, that's not how a child would come to the Father. That's not how a child would come. A child would come with empty arms and say, I need help. I need help. And so we see this picture in our minds of of not achieving, but receiving what God has for us. We learn that something has to change. There must be a shift, a change in our mindset. And this morning that that change in our mindset is from slave to child. From slave to child. A slave, a slave is bound to follow rules, to follow the guidelines, to do what he's told, to obey, and so it becomes very much of an achievement mentality. It becomes I earned it mentality when we see God as a slave master. Paul is that way. This week if you're in one of your small groups in one of our soul shift growth groups, we've, we're reading through Philippians and seeing how Philippians, it ties into these shifts. And we see in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul saying, I, I was perfect when it came to keeping the rules. I, was, I, I, I achieved everything you could achieve as a, as a religious person. I was so good at this. But we see as you read through Philippians, and you read through the entire book of Philippians, a shift in Paul's view from being an achiever to a receiver. So saying, I can't do it. I can't earn it. God, is a, it's a gift to me from God. He made the shift from slave to child. This man who could follow the rules, the man who could do it himself, realized that he couldn't earn it. The shift, though, from slave to child brings with it an understanding that as children we're not orphans. As children, we have a father. And some of us have a mindset of what a father should be. And you heard this in the intro by Steve Deneff this morning, based on what our earthly fathers are. Some of you had good earthly fathers. I had a wonderful earthly father. But even at his best, he's not even a, 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 a... reliable image of what God the Father is. You see, we got it backwards. Instead of looking at what, what our earthly fathers and projecting what God must be like, we should be looking at God as our, the original and that our earthly fathers are just mere reflections of that. I love the image of a father. Jesus says when we pray, we pray, Father, hallowed be thy name. And so we think of this image of God the Father, and I don't see, think that it's presented anywhere any better than in Luke chapter 15, a story that we know called the prodigal son. Many of you know that story, and it's the prodigal son, we know that it's the prodigal son, but really this is a story about the father. If you're aware of the story I probably don't need to repeat, but some of you might not be aware of it totally. It's really a pretty simple story. A very wealthy man, a man with apparently um, much um, money, land, uh, uh, fields, and and crop, and and cattle, had two sons. And so we see this father who's in the story is constant. He never changes. But we see two sons who are a mess, (laughs) and for different reasons. In fact, in, they really both had a slave mentality. The son, the youngest son, said, Father, um, I don't like being a slave. I don't like following the rules. I don't like having to stay around here. I don't like like being under your... So so I'm going to reject those and I'm going to go out on my own and would you give me my portion of the inheritance and can we go and can can I I, uh, have my money? And the father did that and the story goes that he went out and he took the money that was his inheritance and he went into a, a faraway country. He spent it all in wild living and he lost it all. He ended up... Eating with the pigs, the only job he could find, feeding swine. Not a great job for a little Jewish boy. There was an older son, though, who was also a slave. In fact, if you read the end of that story, he says, I've been like a slave to you all my life. He said, I have never disobeyed you, not even once. Just like Paul, I'm perfect. I've been there all along, and now I'm not getting what I deserve. And this, he's angry that he's had to follow these rules. He says, what has it got me? And he's having a pity party. And so we see the two extents of two sons who are both slaves. But the first son, the first son decides I can at least be maybe a little better slave than I am now. I'm a slave to the pigs. I'm a slave to my lifestyle. If I could just go back and be a slave to my dad. If I could be a slave to my dad. If I could somehow amend what I've done. If I could earn back from him. And so he starts off the long journey home. It's interesting. If you know the, and study the traditions, and customs of the first century Jewish nation. In fact, there was a ceremony that they had called the, get this pronunciation right, Kizazah. That's my pronunciation and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> it means the cutting off. You see, this son would know that when he would return, that he had squandered the money. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, he is a great scholar, theologian. He, he wrote this in his book, The Cross and the Prodigal. He says, any Jew who loses his money among foreigners and then tries to return was ceremoniously banished. And the way they did it, the way he was banished when they came, would come back into the community is that someone from the community would take a clay pot and they would fill it with burnt beans. And when it became clear that that male, that person, had lost the money, when the, the Jewish wealth had been squandered among the Gentiles, was gone forever, they would take this pot of burnt beans and they would take it out and they would go to him and they would drop it at his feet and it would shatter. The result was the shattered shards of the pot that would represent how that boy had been cast out, broken. He had humiliated his family. He brought shame to the community and to his faith. And so this was to represent you are no longer, you are broken you are no longer part of us. You are separate. And you can never be restored. Ever. That was the kezazah. And he knew once he made that decision that there was a chance that as he walked through that village, as soon as people would start asking questions, why'd you hitchhike? Where's your vehicle? Where's your luggage? Where's your money? As soon as he realized, they realized that that he had nothing. It would be the duty of the elder of the or one of the leaders of the village to get the pot and get the beans and to go to him and to break it. On that day when he came back, there was only one way that Kazazah was not going to happen. There was a father. There was a father to come back to who was looking out, the Bible says, and watching. In fact, the Bible tells us that he wasn't just watching for his son, but as soon as he saw him, in Luke 15, it says he ran after him. The word that Luke uses there for ran is the, is, he says, is raced after him. It's the very same word that Paul uses several times when he talks about running a race. He says this is not just a, you know, kind of a jog. This was all out, tearing out after him. He's, he's racing and he's following, coming after his son. What was interesting, though, in those days, if you were a Jewish man over 25, you did not run. In fact, Jewish men walked. They walked slowly and distinguished. That was your role in society, a patriarchal society. You did not run. It was humiliating to run. It was, it was bringing shame on yourself to run. The other thing he would have had to do if he's running with a robe so he doesn't trip on the robe, he's going to have to pull up, the, pull up the robe. And when you pull up your robe, you would have seen Naked legs. And, and a, a Jewish man did not show flesh, did not show his legs. And so this was another shame that he brought upon himself. But to get there as quick as he could, he had to run. He had to show that because his goal was to get to his son. Because when he was going there, now every eye of the village is not on the son. The eyes are on the father. And they see that the father is willing to come in and welcome in that son. The relationship is not a slave-master relationship. The relationship is that of a father to a son. Mike Foster, author of a book, People of the Second Chance, writes this. About this run of the father. He says it's a lovesick, dignity shunning stampede of grace, an out of control freight train of radical acceptance. He ran, he streaked, he wrapped his dead son up in his arms, he kissed his sin caked cheeks, he wept and howled and nearly choked on his happiness. That's the love of a father. That's the love of a father. When we move from slave to child, we're not following rules. We're not just concerned about performance. It's the relationship. You see, what the prodigal didn't understand when he started off that day was the sin, the big problem here, what really was the difficulty was not the lost money. It was the broken relationship. It was the breaking of the father's heart. And it's only the father who could reach out and say, the money doesn't matter. Your sin doesn't matter. What you've done in the past doesn't matter. Serving in the gang doesn't matter. I accept you when you come. Open arms to me. That's what a father does. And when you get that mindset, that completely changes how you relate to God. It changed how Paul related to God. And it changed how people related to God down through the centuries and today. I love this picture. In the, it's a painting by Batoni, Pompeo Batoni. It's, it's a picture of that father in his loving arms bringing in a painting from the 18th century of, of this meeting of the father and the son. You say, well, that's great, that's one son and one father. But this story is much more than one son and one father. This story is a picture of Jesus Christ, who God made a plan to send. He said, I know, I know they're coming to you thinking they've done a lot of good things and they're carrying a lot of baggage and, and there's nothing they can do, but you go. And Christ went and he took on the shame, he took on the humility. And he accepted those who would come. That's the relationship of a father to a son. Why would he do that? Why would the father run like that? Foster again says this in People the the Second Chance. He said, why did the father do this in the story? It's because the father didn't want a slave or a servant. He wanted a child. He wasn't accepting applications for servants. He was only filling out adoption papers. For wayward kids who did everything wrong. God is a father. He's the original. And he loves his children. And he welcomes them home. And when you understand that, God doesn't judge you on your performance. But he gives. As I thought about this story, do you ever watch one of those TV shows or movies that You say, boy, I wonder what happened next. And what they do is they come out with a sequel, right? (laughs) I wonder what the sequel to the prodigal son would look like. If, If I was Jesus and telling the story of this prodigal son, what would the sequel look like? Bear with me for a minute. This is not scriptural. It's at least what I think would happen based on scripture. Based on this story, if you were to look at this three months later, you know, three months later, I think you would see an older son still bitter. I think you would see an older son still doing everything that he needs to do to please his father, but with no joy. I think you would see an older son who's angry that things haven't turned out the way he wanted it to. An older son who's trying to live by the rules. An older son who's trying to obey every point, but still has that servant-slave mentality. I've slaved for you all my life. What about the younger son? I've tried to picture in my mind, what's the younger son doing? I don't think he's sitting up in his room playing on his... Machines or whatever and you know I, I know I, I got this picture of the younger son think with me it's 7, 8 o'clock at night the sun's going down starting to go down the workers have gone home all the hired hands have gone down have gone home this, the household servants are back in their little cozy rooms and with their families and enjoying dinner and time together and I see the younger son out in the field and I kind of over here doing some things and coming over here and maybe doing a couple other things and, and, and somebody walks by I can just see him yelling out hey what are you doing out there you got, you got hired people to do that you got servants to take care of that what are you doing out here you're the son I can just hear the son say yeah, but this is my dad's field. I want to care for it. I can see the sun looking and, and saying, you know, I, I noticed some grain over here that they missed today, and if, if we don't get it tonight, it's going it's to be no good. We, we need to get it harvested. So I'm, I'm just going to do it. And, you know, I noticed over there that they somehow they uncovered this stone that's rock that's I think is a danger to some of dad's workers. I want to make sure they don't get hurt. I want to take care of it. I see a son who serves out of gratitude, out of love for the father, a son who has been saved from being cut off, a son who is still part of the family, part of the community because of what the father did father does that for us. The father does that for his children. And I can see that son probably working harder than he's ever worked. Working harder than any of those slaves or servants or workers or wherever they are. Because he gets to work for his dad. I think that was Paul's mentality. You read through the scripture, sometimes he even calls himself a slave. Not because he had to, because there was a freedom a freedom to serve the god who said welcome home welcome home you once were lost now you're found you're dead and now you're alive welcome home welcome home that's what a father does that's what a father does this week is you're thinking about how can i live how can i live this well if, if you're really concerned about your father and what he has to say, I would say spend some time in God's word. Let him speak to you. Let the father have a conversation with you. If, if you're really interested in a relationship, he has spoken. And then after that, speak to him. Go to him in prayer and say, even, it's not disrespectful to start a prayer and say, Daddy. <laughs> Daddy. Daddy. I love you. Thank you. And then I was thinking about this. What else can you do this week? Hang around with other people who are sons and daughters. Hang around with people who understand what it means to have a child mentality. That's what we do in our growth groups, isn't it? One of the things we do is we have authentic community, sons and daughters of the king coming together and sharing good stories and celebrating and serving because, not because the rule book says we have to, but because we get to. We get to. And we serve him because we get to. Yes. Yes, would you stand with me this morning? Maybe you've lived in that slave mentality, doing, 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 and, and you just say, Lord, I, I, this morning, I, I, I need to look at you as a father, the one who has, who has opened his arms and received me back. If that's you, and we're going to sing just, just a short liners, a few lines of this song, uh, you're a good, good father. But if you want to do business with God, yeah, you can do business there and feel free to do it in your seats. But if, if you really want to do business with God, this altar is a great place to do it and have some of us, Pastor Eric and I, and others pray with you. The altar is open if you want to come. We invite you. He's a good father, and he loves you. He accepts you. Let's sing together. The altar is open for you. accepts us. He loves us. He adopts us into his family. When others would cast us out, when others would say, you're no longer worthy, he says, come to me. Come to me. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, our prayer is that you as Father, would come into, Lord, our midst and and our lives and, Lord, that we would see you fresh and new with a major shift this week. It's not, Lord, what we do. We don't earn it. We don't achieve it. But it's a gift that you bring. Lord, it's you running to us in the midst of our sin. It's you coming to us. So, God, we come to you with our arms empty, receiving what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that as we go this week, we would be able to take this new shift, this new outlook into a world that is hurting. Lord, help us to live as children of the King. Help us to live as children of God who loves us and cares for us. Help us to live as children who have been given the rights, Lord, to to live and to, to, to enjoy your presence and to enter into your kingdom to be your people. Go with us now, and may we be that into this world. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's some praying, go quietly, but go as a child of the king. Serve him. You're dismissed.